All right, if you'll take your Bibles this evening and turn to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 24. If you've uh, not been with us before or back with us, uh, we've been going through the book of Genesis on Sunday evenings. And uh, we're up to Genesis chapter 24. Now, Genesis 24 is the longest chapter uh, in Genesis. It contains 67 verses. And since I usually go verse by verse, uh, we could be here for a while. Well, uh, I trust that uh, the Lord will bless as we look at Genesis chapter 24. The longest single episode, or I guess you could say, uh, is found here in Genesis 24, except for the flood, which actually uh, occupies 75 verses or earlier in the book. But here we have the story of a son, a father and a son, a servant and a master, a groom and a bride. And the main characters are Abraham, Isaac, Rebekah, and the unnamed servant of Abraham. Now, Abraham is 140 years old, and his son, Isaac, is 40. Uh, it's a time for Abraham to find a bride and a time for Isaac to take a bride. Uh, the story ends with an unnamed servant bringing Isaac a bride, and of course, it was love at first sight. It's interesting that Isaac uh, uh, is 40 years old here, when he finally gets married. Now, uh, some of you young people think, well, when am I ever going to make it to, you know, when am I going to find that special person? I'm getting older. I've got some daughters kind of like that way as, that as well. But, you know, here he's 40 years old when he finally gets married. I think, uh, of course, his dad was 140. Uh, people were living a little bit longer. This past week, uh, George Beverly Shea died at the age of 104. And we think, man, that's, that's old. And uh, that means if, you know, if I would, the Lord would allow me to live that long, I'd have to live another 42 years. Uh, but uh, anyway, uh, I think people were living longer at that time. And uh, I thought, though, of some of the trends today. Uh, an article I was recently reading said that the average age of which Americans are marrying is at a historic high. 27 years old for women and 29 years old for men. Now, I think there are a number of things that contribute to, uh, to that. One of them is that more and more people today don't think marriage is even necessary. Uh, and... Uh, that may be a con contribution to that, but they were uh, just living together instead of going through a divorce when they get tired of each other uh, and move on. But you know, others are finishing school uh, first, getting established in their careers before they get married. It may be that the economic uh, economics. Uh, back when some of us were younger, we thought economics might have played a part that's easier for two to live uh, you know, together than just uh, one or uh, being separate, you know. Uh, you know, when we got married, uh, I put my wife to work, you know, and she got me through college and, and uh, that kind of uh, helped, helped out. But, uh, you know, uh, many are just uh, 
there may be some economic reasons for it. But here, in Genesis 24, we read about Isaac finding a bride and marrying her. I read about a man on a plane that sat next to a very beautiful young lady. And she was the most gorgeous woman he had ever seen. And was love at first sight. So he struck up a conversation with her and said, Are you married? And she said, No. Are you engaged? No. Are you dating anyone? No. Well, why isn't a beautiful woman like you not dating? She replied, I'm looking for a man with certain qualities. He asked her, well, what kind of qualities are you looking for in a man? Well, she replied, I like Native Americans. I love their skin color and their high cheekbones. I also like Jewish men. Uh, They're so brilliant and financially successful. But you know what? I also like the good old boys from the South. Their southern drawl and the way they treat a woman. By the way, what's your name? And he answered, my name is Geronimo Bernstein, but my friends call me Bubba. There was a flight attendant uh, that spent a week's vacation in the Rockies. And she was captivated by the mountain peaks, the clear blue skies, the sweet-smelling pines. But she also was charmed by a very eligible bachelor who owned and operated a cattle ranch and lived in a log cabin. At the end of this week, Mr. Wonderful proposed. But it all happened so fast that the woman decided to return home and to her job and feeling that somehow she would be guided by uh, what she should do. Well, the next day, while she was in flight, she's a flight attendant, she found herself wondering what to do. She got to thinking about it. And then she, to perk herself up, she stopped at the restroom in the, in, the, in the airplane and splashed on some cool water in her face. And there was kind of a turbulence and a sign lit up, please return to your cabin. Please return to the cabin. And so she did. The mountain cabin, that is. Well, I don't, I don't advise young people you that that's the way you should find your, your spouse. Uh, that's probably not the best way. I would not recommend it. But you know, many Christians wonder, how will I know God's will or God's guidance, especially in this important decision of whom I should marry? Now, our text speaks to this particular issue tonight. Genesis 24, again, the longest chapter in Genesis, but it's, it's a unit, and it's kind of hard to break it up, so we're just going to treat it as a whole, and we could probably do that from several different angles. We could learn about serving the Lord um, from the fine example of Abraham's servant. Uh, we could learn about faith and service from Rebecca. We could study the chapter as an illustration of God the Father, Uh, represented by Abraham sending the Holy Spirit, represented by the servant, uh, to seek a bride, Rebecca, or could represent the church. And his son, Isaac, uh, his son would be Isaac, represented by Isaac, who had been uh, through death and resurrection, if you remember back in uh, chapter 22. But I'm going to approach the text by gleaning some principles of divine guidance Since it deals with God's guidance and it pertains to finding a mate, I'm going to apply it this way. Now, if you're already married tonight here, 
Uh, please don't decide that you've made a mistake in discerning God's will, and, and you're going to decide to try again, okay? If you're married, uh, you can apply the principles here in other areas of your life, okay? But Moses wrote, to Genesis, uh, wrote Genesis to a people who were poised to conquer the land of Canaan, which God had promised to Abraham and his descendants. Uh, they were a rebellious bunch, and they were not inclined to, uh, to endure the hardship necessary to fulfill God's promise. And they put comfort for themselves ahead of obedience to God's will. The, the point of this story, in its context, is to show Israel the importance of maintaining their purity as God's people when they enter into Canaan. And they must not forget God's purpose to give them that land, and they must not intermarry with the corrupt people there. If they would obey God and commit themselves to His purpose, He will faithfully guide them and provide for them just as He providentially led Abraham and his servant to Rebekah as a wife for Isaac. Now, if you're single here tonight, we have a number of single young people, uh, it's crucial that you seek God's guidance and to obey Him in choosing your mate. Uh, because accepting, except for trusting Christ as your Savior, uh, who, whom you marry is the most important decision that you're going to make in your life. But the overall principle of our text is that God will guide us. And so this text can be applied to every one of us, no matter what our marital status is tonight. God will guide us when we walk with Him and we're committed to His purpose. Now, under that overall theme, I want to give five principles tonight to, on how to know God's guidance. Now, they're not comprehensive and they're not a formula. It's not a formula that you plug into your computer and out spits the name of the person that you're going to marry, okay? But I think there are things that can help us, and that's what God's Word is for us. It's to be our guide. It's to be our help in the decisions of life. And this is one of the most important decisions that a person, a young person, will ever make. First of all, there must be commitment and purpose. To know God's guidance, we must be unswerving in our commitment to God and His purpose. Notice chapter 24, beginning in verse 1. <clears throat> and Abraham was old and well stricken in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said unto his eldest servant of his house that ruled over all that he had, Put, I pray thee, thy hand under my thigh, and I will make thee swear by the Lord, the God of heaven, the God of earth, that thou shalt not take a wife unto my son of the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I dwell. But thou shalt go unto my country, unto my kindred, and take a wife unto my son Isaac. Here in this particular passage, we see both Abraham and his servant had an unswerving commitment to the Lord and his purpose concerning the land of Canaan. Abraham calls this unnamed servant, we never know his, what his name is, we just know that he's the eldest servant of his house, and he commissions him 
to find a wife for Isaac, but not among the Canaanites. The servant asked a very practical question. Look at verse 5. And the servant said unto him, Peradventure the woman will not be willing to follow me into this land. Must I needs bring thy son again to the land from whence thou camest? Abraham strongly warns him against doing that and repeats God's call and promise to, to give him the land of Canaan. And so the servant, servant swears to do what Abraham has said. Look at verse 6. And Abraham said unto him, Beware that thou, that thou bring not my son thither again. The Lord God of heaven, which took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and which I spake unto me, and which spake unto me that swear unto me, saying, Unto thy seed will I give this land. He shall send his angel before thee, and thou shalt take a wife unto my son from thence. And if the woman will not be willing to follow thee, then thou shalt be clear from this my oath. Only bring not my son thither again. And the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham his master, and swear to him concerning that matter. Now to know God's guidance we must first of all put aside our will and we need to seek the will of God who has called us. Now that's the basic principle here in determining the will of God in any situation. We need to empty ourselves of, uh, of what we think is best as much as we're able and of our own will we must, we must empty ourselves of our own desires, our own will, and commit ourselves to seeking and obeying God's will. Now that's a hard thing for young people to do. That's a hard thing for all, us older people to do. Set aside what I want and do what God wants. And as you seek first king, God's kingdom and His righteousness, He's going to reveal specific steps that you need to take as you need to know them. But if you claim to want to know God's will, but you're not willing to do it, unless it agrees with your will, then you're kidding yourself. All you really want is God's approval of your plans. And we need to be careful that we're not seeking God's approval of our plans, but we're seeking God's plans for our lives. You'll never know God's direction in just seeking God's approval on your own personal plans. God reveals His will to those who are committed to do it. Now often it's more difficult to go this route than to operate on the basis of human wisdom. Think about this. Abraham's servant is going to make a 500-mile journey across very difficult terrain. Uh, he wasn't going to get on the next plane to do that. Uh, he wasn't even going to get on the Amtrak. Uh, he wasn't even going to go in a, on an automobile. He had to make a 500 trip, a 500 mile trip on very rough terrain and it involved a lot of planning. It involved a lot of expense, a lot of hassle. So why be so fanatical about this, Abraham? Surely there are some nice girls somewhere in Canaan. But Abraham saw that it was crucial for his son to marry a woman who would share his commitment to the Lord and his purpose concerning the land. Again, seeking first God's kingdom is the primary factor in finding the right marriage partner. And if you're committed to do what God wants, 
He will give you a partner who wants to do His will as you wait on Him. You see, that unity of purpose builds unity in marriage. As two of you work together, serving the Lord. But be forewarned, just as it was more of a hassle, more difficult for Abraham to secure a wife for Isaac from his own people rather than from the Canaanites, and so it will be difficult for you to find a mate who is committed to God's purpose. They aren't just standing on every corner uh, everywhere you go. It's going to be some work to find the one that's committed to God's purpose. Let's face it, there are a lot of nice, good-looking single pagans out there. And some have a fair amount of nice, good-looking churchgoers who are living for themselves. They're not for Christ. But you know, it can be pretty slim pickings to find a nice, good-looking... Now, by the way, there's nothing wrong with good looks. Um, Rebecca is described later on in this chapter as very beautiful. But there's, there, there are, are going to be some good-looking, godly single people out there as well. And as you watch other Christian singles marrying, those who aren't com- so committed to the Lord, it's easy to begin to think, well, maybe my standards are too high. Maybe I'm too rigid. Maybe there are some nice Canaanite girls or guys around. But if you want God's guidance for marriage, a marriage partner, you'll be unswerving in your commitment to God and to His purpose. Notice number two, obedience, obedience and common sense. Now to know God's guidance, we must move out in obedience accompanied by common sense. Boy, that's something that's missing today in so many areas. Just some good old common sense. But more importantly, that along with that is obedience to God. Abraham's servant didn't sit in his tent praying for a wife for Isaac. Uh, he did pray a lot, but when Abraham told him to go to Haran and to find a wife, a wife for Isaac, he arose and he went. He got up and got going. Notice in verse 10, And the servant took ten camels of the camels of his master and departed. For all the goods of his master were in his hand, and he arose and went to Mesopotamia under the city of Nahor. He moved out in obedience, and he used common sense by taking the gifts that were needed to secure a bride in that culture. Sometimes we get uh, super spiritual about this matter of determining God's will, especially when it comes to finding a mate. When I was teaching at Maranatha, I heard speakers tell these young male students that they should just trust God for a wife. And I think think some of them felt like, well, if they went to a Christian gathering, uh, they could look for a Christian girl to date. Uh, And uh, yet uh, they were really carnal in their their thinking. But I remember hearing some of of them talking. Some of these uh, students uh, who hadn't had a date for about two years then they would be on their knees pleading with God for a wife, and then they realized he wasn't going to bring her floating through the window, that they had to uh, go out and, and uh, do some work. Uh, they needed to go where there were some prospects. Now, that's what Abraham's servant did. He didn't just start hanging around the local bars and discos in, in uh, Canaan. 
Uh, surely there's a good Canaanite woman here for him. No, he went where he would find a godly young woman from Abraham's relatives. And Abraham had told him to do so. So he obeyed God, he obeyed Abraham, and he used some common sense. And that's what we need to do as well. You won't find a godly mate down here uh, at the bar. So don't even go there. Uh, you may find a godly mate at church. That's a pl- good place to go. But that's not, super, that's not sp- super spiritual. That's just biblical. And so obedience and common sense. Thirdly, seek and expect it. Seek and expect it. To know God's guidance, we must seek and expect it while submitting to his sovereign ways. Abraham told his servant that he could expect God's angel to go before him and lead him to the right young woman uh, for Isaac. We see that there in verse 7. So the, uh, the servant went in obedience. He called to God for guidance, and God gave it to him. Notice verse 11. And he made his camels to kneel down without the city by a well of water at the time of the evening, even the time that the women go out to draw water. And he said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, I pray thee and send send me good speed this day and show kindness unto the master Abraham. See, here's he's praying. He's praying for God's guidance. He's praying for God's answer here. He goes on to say, Behold, I stand here by the well of water, and the daughters of the men of the city come out to draw water, and let it come to pass that the damsel to whom I shall say, Let down thy pitcher, I pray thee, that I may drink, that she will say, or shall say, Drink, and I will give thee thy camels drink also. Let the same be she that thou hast appointed for thy servant Isaac, and thereby shall I know that thou hast showed kindness unto my master." You know, so often we don't experience God's guidance because we get so caught up in doing our own thing that we fail to stop and ask God to reveal His will to us. Or we get into our established routines and it takes a catastrophe for God to get our attention so that uh, we, He can let us know what He wants us to do. So if you want God's guidance... We need to stop and ask Him for it. And then we need to expect Him to give it. You know, uh, uh, we need to expect it, but then we need to wait long enough and listen to what He might have to say. It says here for, uh, or it says in Romans eight fourteen, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Well, what if God doesn't say anything? Well, maybe you're waiting for the wrong kind of communication. Note uh, here, there is no voice from heaven, there's no miracle, no visible angel, no display of God's glory, no sign in the sky. So young person, if you're looking for knowing God's mate, don't be looking for that light to light up and say, please return to the cabin. Because it won't happen. In fact, there's no guarantee that there's success. Both Abraham and servant recognize they might not succeed. So how did he know what God's will was in this situation? Well, the answer is that when we seek it and expect God's guidance and remember submissive 
be, be submissive to God's sovereign ways, he providentially orchestrates circumstances in such a way as to confirm his will. Before the, the servant was done praying, God brought Rebekah along and the circumstances fit together in such an unmistakable way that the servant knew that God had led him. You see, we need to be aware that God's providential ordering of the circumstances does not always work out in the storybook fashion with a happy ending. Sometimes He providentially leads us into a relationship where we might get our hearts broken. Uh, Some might go through heartbreak romances before the Lord leads them to the right person. While such experiences are not fun, the Lord does have the important lessons to teach us if we will submit to His sovereign ways. But if you think, you know, well, I trusted God and I got burned. So I'm going to just take matters into my own hands. Well, then you know that you're not going to get God's guidance. You only bring more pain and discipline into your life. In the case of Abraham's servant, God did confirm his will through the circumstances. But however it works out to experience God's guidance, we must seek it and expect it. Then fourthly, there's a fourth principle here, and that is apply God's wisdom. Apply God's wisdom. To know God's guidance, we must apply God's wisdom. Now some think that Abraham's servant was putting out a fleece when he laid down these terms of how he would know which young woman was right for Isaac. But there's a big difference between what he did and, say, what Gideon did in putting out his fleece. God had clearly told Gideon what his will was. And the fleece was Gideon's way of catering to his own weak faith. God graciously consented to it, but it's not a model for determining God's will. You see, here the servant wasn't dictating to God what to do or doubting what God had already made clear. Rather, he was trying to provide a basis upon which he could know that his prayer was answered. And the test he proposed shows that he was applying God's wisdom to this situation. You know, it would have been customary for any young woman to have given a stranger drink, but to draw water for ten thirsty camels, each of which would drink about 20 gallons probably, and to do so without being asked required a woman who was not self-centered, but who had a servant's heart. You see, since self-centeredness is the root of most marriage conflicts, the servant was going to the very heart of what Isaac needed in a bride in order to have a happy home. In order to have a happy home, he knew that the wife needed to have a servant's heart. And so he was applying God's wisdom in seeking God's will. Now, you also notice here that Rebecca's normal thoughtfulness and willingness to serve paid off for her. You know, she didn't know who this stranger was. She wasn't out there uh, uh, putting on her best date behavior to try to impress him. She hadn't uh, got herself all fixed up and her hair done and uh, the makeup just right and gone out to the thing. You know, if I just go out there and do this, maybe I'll get a husband. No, she was doing what she always did. She was simply living as she always lived, thinking of the needs of others and giving herself to meet those needs. You know, God used 
her, uh, used what, uh, that to make her a wife of Isaac and the mother of Israel, or Jacob. I want you to notice four aspects of God's wisdom for the choice of a mate. The first thing is to look for godly character. Look for godly character. The godly character qualities above all else in that perspective mate. Yes, uh, we notice here that uh, in verse 16, uh, beauty is mentioned, and beauty is okay, but godliness is essential. Especially look for someone who denies self and is focused on loving God and others. Look for a person who bases his or her life on obedience to God's Word, who is growing in the fruit of the Spirit. If you uh, marry a young man, if you marry a beautiful woman who's focused on herself, or young lady, if you uh, marry some hunk who thinks the world revolves around him, you're going to have a, mer- a miserable ride in marriage. So look for a godly character. Secondly, find the right person. Uh, finding the right person depends on being the right person. Finding the right person depends on being the right person. Because Rebecca had a servant's heart, she found Isaac. If she had thought, you know, who is this old man asking me for water? Well, who does he think he is anyway? And she'd just gone on her way, she wouldn't have ever met Isaac. You've got to be the kind of person, the kind of person you want to marry would, would want to marry. You've got to be uh, the kind of person, the kind of person you want to marry would want to marry. Do you understand what I'm saying? If you want a, a kind, loving, godly mate, then you need to be a kind, loving mate. That's the kind of person uh, you need to be. So find, find the right person. Finding the right person depends on being the right person. Thirdly, seek the wisdom of your parents. Now, you probably didn't want to hear that, did you? You know, it's an unmistakable principle in the Bible. Abraham, through his servant, picked Isaac's wife. And some young people say, oh, I wouldn't want my parents picking my, my husband or my wife. Well, although Rebecca had some say in the matter, I believe it was her parents who really approved it, and even though, even though we don't have our parents arrange marriages today, we can still listen to their counsel. Uh, maybe some uh, uh, young people would have a parent that's not a believer. What do you do then? Well, their counsel may not be as valid as a godly parent, but if your parents have strong objection to uh, that person you want to marry, you need to listen to them. You need to think carefully about what they're saying. They often have wisdom that you lack, especially when you're in the passion of romantic love. Seek the wisdom of your parents. And then fourthly, marriage is the foundation for love. Marriage is the foundation for love. Love is not the foundation for marriage. Isaac and Rebecca married, and we read that Isaac loved her. Down in, in verse uh, 67 uh, there, it says that Isaac brought her unto his mother Sarah's tent and took Rebecca, and she became his wife, and he loved her. Now, don't misunderstand. I believe, you know, there is romantic love, but if you build a marriage on romantic love, what you do, what do you do if conflicts developed and you don't feel like you're in love anymore? But if you build love on the foundation of marriage commitment, 
then you can weather the storms that will come. In the Bible, we're commanded to love our mates, whether we feel like it or not. The Bible says, husbands, love your wives. So many times when people say, well, I don't love them anymore, so let's get a divorce. I don't love you anymore, let's get a divorce. Or she doesn't love me, or he doesn't love me. Well, then we're being disobedient to God's Word. God's Word tells us we are to love one another. We're to love our spouse. So to know God's guidance, we must be unswerving in our commitment to God and His purpose. We must move out in obedience accompanied by common sense. We must seek and expect it while submitting to His sovereign ways and apply God's wisdom. And then finally, number five is prayer and fellowship with God. Prayer and fellowship with God. To know God's guidance, we must bathe the whole process in prayer and constant fellowship with God. Now, the servant didn't meet Rebecca and say, You're Rebecca? No kidding. What a coincidence. This must be my lucky day. No, he knew it wasn't just his lucky day because he had sought the Lord in prayer. I think Abraham and Isaac were also praying. <laughs> you know, Isaac might have been praying real hard. You know, I hope he finds me a, a good wife. Uh, we see down in verse 63, it says, And Isaac went out to meditate in the field at the eventide, and he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, the camels were coming. So he was out there meditating and praying. And the story reveals that his servant this servant walked in fellowship with God. And so when God worked out the circumstances, he worshiped God, and then he was careful to tell Rebecca and her family the whole story of how God had led him. When he got done and asked whether they would permit Rebecca to go with him, they could only answer what it says in verse 51, Behold, Rebecca is, there, is before thee. Take her and go. Let her be thy master's son's wife as the Lord hath spoken. And it came to pass that when Abraham's servant heard their words, he worshipped the Lord, bowing himself to the earth. He worshipped God. You know, the longer I'm a Christian, the more I believe that finding God's will isn't just some formula. Sometimes people say, well, if you do this, 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 and this, you'll know God's will. The more I... I'm a Christian. The longer I'm a Christian, I realize it really isn't just a formula. It, it's a matter of walking in constant fellowship with the Lord, taking everything to Him in prayer. When you know that prayer is behind your circumstances, then that which otherwise may seem just like a coincidence turns out to be not a coincidence at all. You say, God's doing a work here. God must be working. I've been praying about this, and God, I've been talking to you about this. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, the psalmist says. That's one of your verses that you'll memorize later this year in Psalm 37. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. When you walk with Him, when you're committed to His purpose, He'll work quietly behind the scenes of your life, and He'll lead you through some of the potential hazards not always leading you where you might have hoped to go, but still leading, 
putting all the pieces together, and the process becomes a beautiful blending of God's faithfulness and sovereignty and our obedient trust in Him. Now, as we come to the end of this chapter, we see Isaac waiting. As I already, already read there, this is the first time we actually have seen Isaac since chapter 22 in uh, his uh, experience on Mount Moriah. And it reminds us of two comings of our Lord. Jesus Christ came the first time to die for us. And he's going to come a second time to take us home. And so, in between, we're waiting for that day when we see him face to face. Kind of like Isaac was waiting to see his new bride. In this story, we see Isaac meeting the bride. Again, in verse 63, And Isaac went out to meditate in the field at eventide, and he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, the camels were coming. He went out to meet her. Uh, we see uh, Rebekah uh, coming to Isaac, and Isaac going out to meet her. And there will come a glorious day when the Lord Jesus is going to meet his bride. Now notice again the reaction of Rebekah in verse 64. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she lighted off the camel. Someone has said, uh, this is the only example of smoking in the Bible, Uh, she lit off a camel. Well, she... uh, she was pretty light on her feet. She just, she just jumped right off that camel. She was so excited to see Isaac. The servant had been talking about her new husband, giving her symbols of his glory all the, the trip uh, that, along the way. And when she saw him, she was so excited, she jumps off her camel, she starts running toward him. And notice the respect that Rebecca has in verse 65. For she had said unto the servant, What man is this that walketh in the field to meet us? And the servant had said, It is my master. Therefore she took a veil and covered herself. On that glorious day, we're going to reverently fall at the feet of the one who's loved us and saved us by his grace. So we not only see Isaac meeting the bride, but we also see him marrying the bride marrying the bride. In verse 67, And Isaac brought her unto his mother's Sarah's tent and took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. And Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Is there going to be a glorious wedding for everyone that is saved? You see, we're a spouse to Christ at the present, but our wedding day is yet coming. And what a day, what a wonderful day that will be. I trust you're looking forward to that and thinking about the promise that we have that Jesus is coming again. Jesus is coming. And I trust that you're doing even like Isaac was, meditating there and looking for him to come. Thinking about what God's word says and then looking for that day. I trust each one of us are looking for that day. Well, Five areas of guidance, not just for young people in their search for a mate, but all of us, we need to have a commitment and purpose to God. We need to be obedient and have some common sense. We need to seek God's will and expect it. We need to apply God's wisdom 
And then we need to be in prayer and fellowship with God each and every day. And I trust as we do that, we'll be looking for Him to come for us soon. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your uh, instructions and your word. Thank you for the, the account of Isaac's uh, uh, or Abraham's servant going and finding a wife for Isaac. We thank you, Lord, for the principles that are given to us in this particular chapter that can help us in many different ways in our lives as we seek to do your will. We seek your will for our lives, whether it be a young person here who's seeking your will concerning a work, a life's work, a ministry, or a life's mate and someone to minister with. We pray, Lord, that you will guide us and direct us. Help us to be faithful in your word. Know your word, what it says, and look for people who are also committed to your word as well. Lord, I pray for our young people that they will make wise choices. They will seek wisdom from above as they seek to uh, honor you with their lives. And we pray, Lord, that even out of our church here, we will see young people going forth into the harvest field, maybe as pastors or pastors' wives, missionaries, uh, Christian school teachers, uh, whatever the Lord may lead in their life, whatever uh, you have for them, we pray, Lord, that they'll be seeking to do your will. Help us not to be selfishly wanting to do what we want to do, but help us to do what your will is for us. So Lord, we pray that we'll allow you to have your way in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.